It's lovely to have you back with us again today and I'm so loving your feedback. There are some of you who have told me that you listen with your partner together, so hi to you, and some who are putting the tools into practice that I've spoken about in different episodes and seeing some great progress. So hi to you too and hi to all of you. Today I want to just give you a little bit of a heads up warning. You might want to listen to this episode on headphones or out of the earshot of children. We're talking about women's issues today. Don't be put off guys if you're listening. This is important stuff for us all to know. Now I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't speak about these things with our children but as a mum I like to hear things first and make the assessments for my children depending on their ages, usually because I want them to hear things from their parents first. So I just want to give you that same respect. So we're talking about all things gynae and it's fascinating how much women just put up with because symptoms are mild and manageable and we just think, get on with it. So even years after having a baby, there are some women living with resolvable issues, both physical and emotional, post-birth. My take home from this conversation with Louise Ramanu, who's a women's health physio, is that it isn't necessary to put up with anything that's annoying or frustrating or embarrassing or awkward or limiting your life in any way, no matter how many years ago you gave birth. Do you know, I often joke with my friends and family that I'm a gynae. I've had five children, but I've had 13 pregnancies with a couple of ectopics in the mix too. So I figure that merits me an honorary gynae at the very least. So we'll find out at the end of this conversation quite how qualified I am. But I do remember when I was having my first ectopic, I was really concerned about losing a fallopian tube. We had one child and I think I had set my heart on having a big family and I was so worried that if I was going to be missing a part this was going to hinder our chances of having more children. So I wrote to the surgeon on my left thigh asking him to tick a box according to whether or not I had lost a tube. Now, I dare say they wouldn't be allowed to write on a patient's leg these days. But back then, I was so glad to wake up and find immediately that I was still intact. Now, I couldn't have talked so glibly about that a few years ago, but I've done my grieving and I faced my pain. So don't hear me underestimate in any way the pain and difficulty of losing a pregnancy. That's an issue that I'd like to cover on the podcast at some stage. I'm always so surprised when I chat to someone who's just had a miscarriage or complications that they believe it's quite rare. Actually, there are loads of us out there who've experienced that and have good stories to tell and difficult stories to tell. So we can encourage and empathise with those women and their partners who know that grief. But for today, we're talking about the little issues that we can live with following childbirth, even years later, that can turn into big issues if they're not kept in check, particularly later on in life. So I was privileged to catch up with women's health physio Louise Ramanu. We recorded it in my garden, appropriately socially distanced, of course. So enjoy the sounds of summer in the background as I talk with Louise and ask her what are the most common problems that women face? There are a few things that people tend to live with later on, which is things like mild stress incontinence, prolapse, painful scar tissue and abdominal muscle separation are probably the key ones that I think. 
And when you say later on, do you mean that happens to you later in life or immediately after birth or can be in the ensuing years? Well, it can be during pregnancy. It can be immediately following delivery. It can come on later. Any of them can come on later except for the abdominal muscle separation, which would happen during pregnancy. But all of the bladder, bowel, pelvic floor kind of issues can happen at any time. Why don't we go through them then and yep. you describe what the symptoms are mm. and I'm sure some people will start to recognise, oh, I, that's me, but I didn't think that was a big deal. Perhaps I should do something about that. So starting with, did you start with mild prolapse? Yeah, the reason I say mild prolapse is I think that if somebody had um, a severe prolapse, a uh, prolapse is when either the bladder, the bowel, the uterus or the vaginal wall comes down inside the vagina. The symptoms of it would be the sensation of something coming down, like feeling like you've got a tampax in or a tampon in that, that isn't in the right position, feeling um, some discomfort, some people get that. But if you had a severe prolapse, it would be quite low and that would be very uncomfortable and people would really get that seen to. But people tend to live with mild prolapses, not realising that there's much of a problem. And that would be this sensation that you might not have all the time, that you've got something there, like a tampon in. Or it might come around the time of your period because of hormonal changes. So it could come and go? Yes, it can uh, be more noticeable at different times of the month, for example, or with various activities that has made it worse. Or if somebody's had, for example, um, a chest infection and that could have made the symptoms worse and then they really notice it. And so when they come to you, what could a physiotherapist do about that? Well, often it's avoiding things that will make it worse and that just depends on each individual and their lifestyle and what they do. Pelvic floor strengthening exercises can help to relieve the symptoms and actually it can have an amazing effect when a, a prolapse is mild or moderate. If a prolapse is really bad then usually physio isn't enough but when it's mild or moderate it can either alleviate symptoms or relieve them altogether. Now you mentioned pelvic floor exercises yeah. and I have to say I have spates in my life when I'm really on it you know isn't it that thing about you know when you hit the traffic lights you you know you do your pelvic floors <laughs> I can remember when I used to work there was one girl who used to do them during the morning meeting and she used to scrunch up her face and it wasn't helpful but <laughs> in reality some of us aren't brilliant at doing that consistently so the thought of going to a physiotherapist to be told you're gonna have to do your pelvic floors is a little bit like oh no but presumably they're quite specific pelvic floors yeah well the thing is that actually if you're suffering with um, any symptoms then people tend to be quite diligent about doing something to help. It is good to get in the habit and I usually advise people to associate it with something like brushing your teeth that you will always do that you don't tend to do anything else when you're brushing your teeth. So if you get in the habit of doing it it becomes an automatic thing that we do. But we're all human and nobody does these things all the time. And I think that when you've got a problem, you know, you really work hard. On You'd be it. a bit more on it. Actually, I love some of your Instagram posts, which is <laughs> around women doing their pelvic floors. <laughs> I'll give you your Instagram at the end so people can follow that. How about mild stress incontinence? 
So I always think of that as just like, you know, we when you laugh or on the trampoline. Is it broader than that? Um, yeah, there's different types of incontinence and stress incontinence is when you have a stress put on your intra-abdominal muscles and, and your pelvic floor. So it would be, for example, when you run, jump, laugh, sneeze, cough, those are usually the time. in public at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get some you can laugh though. <laughs> you'd get some awful looks. you get some terrible looks. <laughs> so stress incontinence would be then just leaking on those occasions. And for some people, it's a tiny little leak. It might just be a couple of drops and it might be on the odd occasion and not very often. And for others, it's, you know, fully emptying their bladder and terribly embarrassing and you know people have to go home from a party because they were dancing and then they just lost control so there's there's varying degrees of stress incontinence none of it is normal unfortunately it's being normalized at the moment with pads being you know the adverts saying oh it's normal to use pads and now you can run and jump and do whatever you like the sad thing is that that shouldn't be normal. It can be treated and it can be successfully treated. And why shouldn't we all be able to jump on the trampoline with our children carefree? So even if someone's out there and they've just got the mildest of forms, that can be eliminated and there's, there's hope for them. Absolutely. And that's the best time to come for treatment before it's too bad. Yes, of course, that's true, isn't it? The other thing is that if people suffer with stress incontinence during pregnancy, it's a real indicator that they'll have it later on in life. So even if it's cleared up and it's better after delivery, it's good to address it sooner rather than later. My mother-in-law, who's Greek, obviously the Greek surname, <laughs> and the Greek word for having a little wee is tissa. So she, she sometimes turns around and then looks something really random and she goes, oh, little bit tissa. And I'm like, I don't need to know. But anyway, she always made us laugh. But there are other forms of incontinence as well, aren't there? You can have um, bowel issues. and Yes, so there's faecal incontinence and that can also range in in severity from completely losing control of your bowels which can happen after delivery and is really debilitating and affects everybody's quality of life because you wouldn't want to go out if you're not sure that you can control your bowels but then there's also just flatal incontinence so not being able to control wind these are all very posh words is that a posh <laughs> word for a fart <laughs> Pretty much. Flatal incontinence. Thank it you is, for that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can't control wind, then that's a form of incontinence. Yeah. It sounds really dramatic to say that, but actually it just means that you've got some weakness there that you can address. And if the longer you leave these things, the worse they can become. And often things take a turn for the worse around menopause time as well. So it's really good to address it early on. So I'm going to ask you, let's say somebody came to you with any of those, how invasive is it going to be? Is it going to be a discussion and a description or are they going to be examined? I, I start off with a very detailed assessment, so discussion. I need like full medical history and to talk about the birth and any other issues, lifestyle. And then I do a vaginal examination and I'll also look at people's breathing, their tummy and their just general posture muscles because everything's connected. 
Mm, of course. I'm loving all these sounds of the garden. We've had a couple of birds fighting. We've had the dog walk past. We've had a fly <laughs> going by the microphone. <laughs> this is social distance <laughs> podcasting. Now, what about um, discomfort from back pain and sort of post-cesarean issues? Okay, so cesareans are your obvious scar tissue. And some people from abdominal scar tissue, and this isn't just from um, cesareans, it can be any kind of abdominal surgery or any kind of surgery at all, really. We can get adhesions from the scar tissue. So it means that the, the muscles and the fascia tends to kind of stick together a little bit. And some people can get back pain from that. You can get lower abdominal pain and tightness, and it just doesn't quite feel right. And some people can get pelvic floor issues as well. What do you mean backache from scar tissue? Because I think of scar tissue as being at the front and backache obviously at the back, but they're linked, are they? Well, they can be linked. We're all connected inside by fascia and by our muscles and everything is linked to each other. So if you have adhesions and scar and tightness in one area, it will pull and have an effect elsewhere. So it's a knock-on effect, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but sometimes the scar is uncomfortable. Sometimes you get a little bit of an overhang. Sometimes there's one part of the scar, and often it's the part where they tied the knot in the stitches, so it'll be at one end. Often that takes longer to heal, and that can sometimes be a bit uncomfortable. Um, sensation can be altered on cesarean scars as well. So that's one scar tissue. The other scar tissue that we don't talk as much about is um, episiotomy and tears. Episiotomy scar tissue can also be uncomfortable, just like tears, and also we don't think about it. We, we think about the bit that we can see, um, so the tear or the episiotomy on the outer part of the vagina, but actually you can tear along the wall of the vagina inside, and that can be uncomfortable too. And how long should that take to heal after birth? Well, we tend to have in this country um, a six to eight week check and usually it should be healed by then. There are some people that will have had infections or problems with healing but usually they kind of take that as a, as a bit of a milestone. Lasting problems are, uh, I mean I was seeing somebody a while ago and she had internal pain from her scar tissue for 20 years. Her daughter was at university. Gosh. And we managed to treat it. So 20 years is a long time, but if someone's six months post-birth and they're having discomfort during intercourse, don't just let it go. Absolutely. The thing about scar tissue is the symptoms of, of painful scar tissue can be tightness. So if it's around the vagina, it can make it really uncomfortable to have intercourse because it just feels too tight, like they've stitched you up too tight or it's healed too tight. It can be from just the scar tissue. You know how sometimes you can have a scar and it can, it can heal and when you press right on the scar, it's uncomfortable. Well, it's the same. And so then you can break down that sort of scar tissue and make it less uncomfortable. And sometimes it's not the outer part, it's inside that's uncomfortable for intercourse. And it shouldn't be uncomfortable and it doesn't need to stay uncomfortable. So it's not something that you have to live with. And it's not a natural... Um, that's what happens after I've had a baby, so I just have to live with it. You don't have to, you can get it treated. And what methods would you use for getting rid of scar tissue? 
So there's scar tissue massage and if it's too tight you can use things like dilators or something to help stretch the scar tissue and then I've got different devices that I use to help as well. Is that an ongoing thing or is that like that woman you have a few sessions and... Well it was a long history of it so she probably had about 10 to 12 sessions but it won't come back. Wow that's fantastic and then just as you could feel tight another condition is you can feel loose you were saying to me the other day. Yes so some people just after having a baby would say I just I feel kind of big I feel like everything's stretched and it hasn't kind of tightened back up or just loose and again that can be treated mostly with with pelvic floor strengthening because that's what will tighten everything back up again but that can actually be quite distressing because although you don't have pain and you don't have difficulty having intervals and things like that so it's not going to affect you in that way some people worry that it's going to feel different for their partner or they have less confidence in their pelvic floor mm, and, and all of these things if you don't need to live with them you may as well get them seen to mightn't you yeah so let's talk about abdominal muscle separation that's a big sentence for me what does that mean <laughs> uh, some people when they're pregnant will notice that their tummy domes so they could like be lying down and then when they come to sit up their tummy comes to like a point um and some people think oh look that looks really funny it's like the baby's sticking out and um don't do it as a party trick it just makes it worse uh, <laughs> so um that's that's normal because our abdominal muscles can separate during pregnancy to make room for the baby and the reason for that is that the rectus abdominis the muscle down the center of your abdominals stretches long ways but it doesn't stretch width ways so it can separate and after pregnancy it usually recovers itself and comes back together again but for some people it doesn't and for some people it stays quite widely separated and the doming can still happen and also people lose core strength and the core strength would affect your back your core stability and your ability to get back to normal exercise because other muscles will compensate for the muscles that aren't working properly so that needs real specialist care doesn't it if it's lasting yes mm. and what would you do for someone in that situation well um sometimes there there's a reason why it's staying um separated so there might be tightness in in other muscles that is holding it apart it might be activities that they're doing that they can modify in certain ways and then there is there's a series of exercises and activities that you can do to help bring the muscles together in very very serious circumstances where people are really really suffering and the the muscle separation is is very wide then it can be surgically treated but that's and what do you call very wide probably a five finger width or more mm. and you work with somebody who specializes in that area too don't you i do because what i tend to do is see people through the beginning part and then i'll often pass people on for more advanced exercises depending on what their lifestyle is and what they want to get back to and then, of course, on top of all of that, there are the non-physical issues like post-birth trauma. Is yeah. that something that you see people for? 
Well, I don't treat the trauma, but I do in a way because I spend a lot of time with people and in conversation it, it can come out. And it's something that you can't ignore and it's something that actually a lot of people suffer from. There are loads of people that have wonderful births and that's great, but there are some that have real difficulty recovering emotionally from a difficult birth. And it might be that somebody was hoping to have a lovely normal delivery and ended up with an emergency caesarean or that it was quite a traumatic delivery that's hard to get over. And then there are some people that just have what we would consider relatively straightforward delivery but still have flashbacks and nightmares thinking about it. And that can be really difficult to get past if you don't talk about it and you don't seek help if it's needed. And so would you refer them on or do you think that during the process of seeing you and talking through the birth and understanding perhaps some of the choices they made or that were made for them at the time can be helpful enough? In some cases it's enough talking through it with me and because I've worked with postnatal ladies for so long there's a lot that I can I can talk through. But I do have trauma therapists that I can refer people to. Sometimes I refer people back to the hospital where the midwife will go through their notes with them and explain everything that happened and why it happened and that can be really therapeutic to understand why the decisions that were made why they were made and some people will be suffering with terrible anxiety and might need counseling or some cbt for trauma or antidepressants and again it's one of those things we don't need to live with that do we you can make a call and talk it through and work out where to go with that that's true and the other thing is that different things will work for different people so for some people it works to go to the GP and get some antidepressants for some people they might get on really well with one session with a counsellor for some people they'll need several sessions of CBT for some people it's enough to talk it through with me for some people it's opening up to their partner and discussing it together so it's different for everyone but what isn't okay is bottling it up thinking that you can't talk about it because it's kind of taboo to say oh my goodness the delivery was awful <laughs> mm. and that can be difficult to admit and I think that's the important thing about bringing all of these things into the open we can normalize all of that at the school gates in conversation having a laugh at lunch with a bunch of girlfriends but actually if it's upsetting your life there's no reason really not to go and do something about it all of these things can be addressed to varying degrees and most of them can be addressed completely with the right sort of help. So you mentioned before that you would pass somebody on to another specialist if they had abdominal muscle separation. Do you work with all sorts of different people depending on what you're dealing with? Yes, so actually conveniently my husband's a gynaecologist. You can imagine. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the conversation is in our house. Really interesting. Um, <laughs> um, At least you both know what you're talking about. <laughs> he can bring his work home. Well, not literally. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, sometimes I refer people back to um, a consultant. There's um, some amazing clinics at the hospital for postnatal care. I've got other physios that I refer to. One of the reasons I work from, I've got private practice in Montpellier and I work from Neil's Yard Remedies, which has therapy rooms under the shop. 
I'm connected with a really great team of people and a wonderful group of therapists there. For example, a physio who does a lot of postnatal exercise and I'll send people to her to get back to higher level exercise as well. But also they have um, a team of therapists there ranging from counsellors, reflexology, nutrition, dietitian, acupuncture. We can tap into any of those sorts of things which can help. I've got other physios and midwives and sports therapists that I can send people on to depending on what the problem is and different people will suit different specialists. Presumably you've got musculoskeletal physios that you might pass them on to for that as well and as you say sports physios and Pilates experts. There are a lot of like Pilates studios but when you get to know someone you kind of work out who's going to suit which best and mm. so you give people really educated advice. That's why I think I, I took a long time when I moved to Cheltenham to get to know a good network because I'm very specific in what I do. It might be that they need a team of therapists to help them or they might need some input from various doctors or just me or me and one other person. I'd love to know what brought you to this. When you started off in physio, were you always going to end up doing women's health physiotherapy <laughs> I can't get my words out <laughs> I actually went into physio to be a neurophysio um, and I was and I was neurophysio for a few years and then it's very heavy physically demanding work being a neurophysio because paralyzed limbs are very heavy mm. so my back was not doing very well and I had an opportunity to do six months of women's health and when I first thought I'd try it I was doing antenatal classes and just seeing pregnant ladies and it was so refreshing to see women that were basically really excited about a lovely event that was going to happen uh, they might have had some pelvic pain or some hip pain or some back pain, but it was all for a good reason and they knew it was going to go away once the baby was born. And you could have lovely conversations with people. And actually, the more the more I learned about it, the more interesting it became and the more senior I became, the more gyne I did because we tend to give the more senior people more complex issues to deal with. And the more I learned, the more I realised I didn't know. And developed a passion for it that way okay and that was back in london yes so i worked at initially it was at guys and st thomas's and then i was the lead women's health physio at uclh university college hospital for nearly 10 years seeing women that had basically had traumatic deliveries and had third or fourth degree tears or these sorts of problems that we've been discussing following their deliveries and it was amazing. So that's where I developed a kind of further passion. And I had a private practice in Harley Street until we moved to Cheltenham. So when we moved to Cheltenham, I actually worked at Gloucester Royal Hospital and Cheltenham General and started working privately. And why did you move to Cheltenham? Because my husband got a consultant job here. It's <laughs> <laughs> good enough reason. Do you like it here? <laughs> I love it here. I'm really happy that we've moved and we've got two boys and I'm really pleased that they're growing up outside 
London, especially at the moment. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes, it's, it's probably a nice place to be in lockdown, isn't it? So tell me a bit about Mummy MOT. The Mummy MOT is a national initiative that was set up by a friend of mine who had her children in France. She had two of them in France and one of them here and she realised the difference in care. And so it's based on the French model of care, which is that every woman that has a baby has 10 to 12 sessions of physio afterwards. And here, unfortunately, we have a lot of attention for women when they're pregnant. And then as soon as they have their babies, they're virtually not seen again. Well, the focus is very much on the child after that, the baby. Absolutely. The Mummy MOT is a postnatal check and it's a comprehensive look at um, abdominal muscles, posture muscle strength, breathing, pelvic floor and scar tissue. Do you often pick things up at that stage? Yes, a lot of things. Some people come with an actual issue and then we might pick something else up along the way. And some people come just for a one-off MOT, just a check over to make sure that they're doing fine and a lot of people really are fine and some people it will throw up something that they didn't realise was such a problem but then they're pleased that it's going to be addressed. And presumably, <clears throat> great to catch that sort of thing early. The earlier you catch these things, the easier it is to treat, and then the more successful the outcome. I have a friend, Lynn, who lives in Paris, and she got masses of attention post-birth. Well, the big thing about what they do in France is everybody has this uh, amazing physio care following delivery and they don't tend to have the same problems that we have in this country further down the line. Oh, that's so interesting. What we don't tend to focus on here is recovery. We tend to think that people have a baby and then, you know, you'll just be okay. And we don't focus enough attention on that here. And that's where people end up injured because they've got weakness in certain areas. And if you don't strengthen carefully and systematically, then actually other muscles come in to compensate and then you end up with injuries or, or pain or difficulty later on. Brilliant. Now, you know how I always joke about being a gynae? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Turns out I'm not. <laughs> Most of that is news. <laughs> so luckily I've never had any clients and I haven't wrecked anybody. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I'm going to leave it to you and your husband. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Brilliant, it's been great chatting, learned so much and uh, hopefully there's someone out there whose life will be different for getting a little bit of help. Thank you for having me. So it turns out I'm totally underqualified. I think I'll leave it to the experts. Speaking of whom, I'm going to put links in the show notes to Louise and the Mummy MOT. They're all around the country so if you're not local to us you can check out their website and find a Mummy MOT practitioner near you. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found it as informative as I did. I love hearing from you. I'm easy to find on my blog, The Courageous Mama, on Instagram, at The Courageous Mama, you get the gist, <laughs> or by email, madelinestanny at icloud.com. Do come and find me. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, ping them to a friend. See you next week.